one. It's the spiritual side of the brain here on Swedenborg Live. I would love to talk about what's going on in your head and how that's not just happening with material. There is spirit in there as well. To have that discussion with me, or all of you, thank you so much for tuning in. We look forward to getting to your thoughts and questions, but we also have an excellent panel of life experts, Swedenborg experts here with me. Uh, hello, everyone. Thanks for coming. Hey, everybody. I'm Chelsea Odner and a writer for Swedenborg and Life. Hey there. I'm Chris Dunn. I'm the director of digital marketing. Hi, friends. I'm Cara Dahm, Latin consultant and a community response person. That's right. I always forget to introduce myself. I'm Curtis Childs. And the director of Off the Left Eye. And all of you are going to play the part of the material for what we talk about. Because this whole show, type your questions in the live YouTube chat and you will get to be on screen. And we will do our best to reminisce and ruminate and all those R's about whatever you want to talk about. So get your questions in now. And while you're here, hey, we're a not-for-profit. So we depend on all of you supporting us financially to do stuff like this program and everything else that we do on the channel. Actually, if you want to support us right now during this show, go to offtoleftdie.com slash donate. We are trying to raise $224 during the show in honor of True Christianity 224, which I'll read to you in a second, our related passage for the week. If we raise 224, a lofty goal, but a reachable one, we will give you an extra 15 minutes uh, as, a, as a token thank you for supporting what we do. So go to offtheleftdie.com or otle.com slash donate. Get in there and do make a donation. Let's hit that goal and do an extra 15 minutes. Okay, so while you're all doing that and while you're getting your questions in the chat, we want to give a second to give some airtime to what you all said during the week in response to our question. So we asked this week for our community question, what's the point of being aware or conscious? Wow, that's a, that's a heavy hitting question. I wouldn't want to have to answer that. Let's see what all of you guys said. So Chelsea, since Karin's not in today, what, what did the people say? Yeah, there's a lot of great responses. So uh, here they are from our incredibly thoughtful community of viewers. Um, one is to learn how to love and fight evil. Mm. All of these are so inspiring. For me, the purpose of consciousness is to change my focus away from the egoic mind to my inner awareness. After a while, you realize that life flows more freely and smoothly when these two states are aligned. I use a daily affirmation where I remind my ego that it is an important co-pilot, but that my conscious inner self is driving the car. There are a lot less potholes along the road this way. In simplest terms, we suffer much less when we become conscious, and I am grateful. Nice. And is there really that much of a point? Swedenborg says that people who act out of love, who people who act out of love without knowing anything about God, the afterlife, or spiritual stuff, are actually residents of heaven, since it's all about intent and love. I guess that hearing testimonies helps to realize how important this is and helps us make a conscious choice towards better intentions and better love, but it doesn't actually seem to be mandatory to be aware, even according to your own videos. So I love that, somebody who's really thinking about these, this topic. Um, to learn about the differences of good and evil and to be a voluntary creator instead of being created involuntarily. Nice. Being aware and conscious in order first not to go with the 
automatism of the reacting fearful self, and then in order to be open to God's guidance. Nice. Evolve, expand awareness. To lead a healthier, happier, and more fulfilling life and be able to share this state of being with others. And another one, we are all fragments of love knitted together. A son looks up at his mother who is knitting a jumper for him. The son says, mom, what are those straggly bits at the bottom? This jumper is ugly. The mother replies, look up son. So the boy looks up and sees all the threads knitted together forming one great harmonious pattern. Mom, that's a really nice jumper. We are like the bottom of the jumper, all messed up and tangled, but as we start to look up, we see how everything fits together to form one great harmonious pattern. I love it. The parable of the jumper. Yes. And then there's just a few more. So we can experience love. That's the point. To serve the Lord, I know only this. And to learn and grow faith, hope, and love. And again, those are just a selection of all the responses we got. So it's, you can go to our community tab or any of our social media channels off the left eye, you'll find people's responses to the week's question, which is so great to hear about. Awesome. Hey, thanks everybody for like, not just answering it, but having real direction there. This is what consciousness is about. I love it. We're not just walking around. We've got somewhere to go. Hey, so I said our goal is 224 today, dollars raised, otle.com slash donate. This is our honorary related number from True Christianity 224. Here's a little thought to get us in the mood before our discussion starts. We human beings were made by divine truth because all aspects of us relate to intellect and to will. Our intellect is a vessel for divine truth, just as our will is a vessel for divine goodness. Therefore, the human mind consisting as it does of these two primary faculties, is nothing less than a form of divine truth and divine goodness organized both spiritually and physically. The human cerebrum is that form. Since everything in human beings depends on their minds, all the things that constitute their bodies are just appendages that are activated and brought to life by these two primary faculties. So there's a little bit of, there's a spirit in the, in the mind right there for you. So let's use those minds, those, those meeting places of the world to uh, ponder some some great questions. First one is from Andrew Wheaton, who asks, will a life review make you feel all the wrongs you have done to someone? Life review is a term made famous by near-death experiences where you seem to go and observe everything that you've been through, but in a much uh, with much more depth and nuance, you sort of see all the impacts you've had. Swedenborg makes similar statements saying that every state we have in life, in the world returns in the other life. Will, will, uh, will you have to feel all the bad stuff you did as a kid? And what, you know, what, what's the point of it? And, and what, what can we expect? Does anyone want to weigh in on that? Yeah, Chelsea. Yeah. Um, so yeah, like you said, Swedenborg does talk about how we have this process that we're brought into when we're in the world of spirits when we first enter the other life where the point of being there is to help us get clear on what we really love and care about um and and helps us you know get clear on our own identity and um but so i don't think it's necessarily a uh all right you've got your life review at six o'clock you know and so get ready it's going to be this intense time where you hear every you know you go you review everything you've done wrong um one of the one of the amazing things Swedenborg says is that it's 
our life is really built out of the intention that we've built up throughout our whole life. Um, and it's not just a matter of like, you know, a tit for tat kind of going through seeing what are all these individual things that you did or didn't do in your time, um, on earth. But so, so there's something that, you know, Swedenborg says is that when we're in the world of spirits, one of the gifts of it is that our earthly memory can kind of go to sleep. Um, like not, it's not useful to have all of that kind of baggage with us. Um, and so it's all there if it needs accessing, but it can generally go dormant. Um, but so it's really a matter of what's useful. So it's like, if there's some, if there's sort of an issue that you're working through in the world of spirits, there's this opportunity it might involve reviewing some things that you've done or, you know, past relationships type of stuff, but mm -hmm. it's kind of a more organic process is what I gather from what Swedenborg says, then, then kind of a regimented, okay, and now we're going to do this and the next thing. Right. Oh, I love it. Yeah. There, there's a little more nuance to it and a, and a little more uh, purpose uh, than just whatever you did, it's going to hit you really hard. Chris, did you want to add something to that? Yeah. Um, one of the things that, I think is really profound about the life review experience um, is that it's done with an angel and an angel examines you in a way that's so deeply intimate. You kind of have this like one-on-one -on -one time and, you know, you think about what an angel is. It's an, an angel is a vessel of, of pure love flowing through. And so if the goal of a life review is to get you um, to a place where you can fully embrace heaven uh, that angel is going to be a conduit to help you get there. Um, and so I don't see this like judgmental being um, kind of like harshly critiquing your faults, but rather a love, uh, a very, very loving being helping you along in a way that's useful to you. Uh, the, yeah, right. The, the environment in which it goes on makes a huge difference and, and the difference in the attitude. So I lo love that point. Cara. It's occurring to me that um, sometimes in this world, we are not even sure ourselves what our motivations were or are for what we do. And um, maybe it's, it's um, going to be partly to put our minds at rest or, or to just, you know, to help in our own clarity about our own life choices and whether we agree with that choice we made or we don't or, yeah, I mean, it's all... Um, a mix of trying to get us to know ourselves so that we can choose the eternal home that works for us, right? Beautiful, I love it. And one final thought that I'll add that, that occurred to me during what listening to what you're all saying is um, there is a use to everything. So especially things that are unpleasant in any way are unable to happen unless good is being brought out of them or God wouldn't want them to happen unless in the end it's better. So this, you know, we have to feel all the wrongs you have done to someone only if that is going to help something. So if you're already feeling repentant and you feel sorry for things, I don't think you're going to have them rubbed in your face. But if you don't really realize the extent of it or you, you want to acknowledge that or you can open up more through that process, then yes. I'll, so it's going to be, you know, based on what it can do rather than just checking boxes or that you just have to go through this thing. And I just, everybody who's ever 
described a near-death experience with a life review in it has expressed nothing but gratitude and nostalgia for the life review, what it meant, even if parts of it were uncomfortable. But when uncomfortable, the people, like the authors readily admit that they, that's what they needed at the time. So yeah, do we, uh, any other thoughts on that or should we move on to our next one? All right, let's do it. So, hey, before I go, I wanna say, uh, if you donate now off to left.com slash donate, you will actually, your donation will go twice as far because we're right in the middle of our Bringing Heaven to Earth campaign where we have a matching gift generously donated to us of $10,000. So every time you contribute, some of that 10,000 gets unlocked and put towards off the left. We've raised 3,250 of that so far. So help us get to that goal as well as our goal today of 224 and uh, you'll be entered in raffles as well to win on the Friday nearest Giving Tuesday if you make a donation. So there's a lot of great incentives. Get out there and support us. Okay, next question. Fan of God asks, why would anyone want to go to hell? Swedenborg has this fascinating paradigm where he says, yeah, there are heaven and hell. There is definitely heaven and hell. And a lot of it is like you'd picture heaven and hell. But nobody has to go anywhere. That everybody in heaven is there because they really want to go to heaven. And everybody in hell is there because they love to go to hell. But who, what are you talking about? Who would ever want that? So where can we start on, on something like that? Uh, does anybody have a, an explanation? <laughs> yeah, Cara? Oh, I thought, Chris, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, Chris, did you want to go first? Um, no, I think, uh, well, sure. Um, okay. Basically, you know, I, one of the things that I think is a real pivot for what, what you can find in Swedenborg compared to other theologies is that, um, you know, there's no like predestined, you know, pathway for people to go to hell for doing things that they didn't do, want to do or weren't supposed to do. You go to hell because you love what hell stands for. Anything in your intentions and anything in your actions when they're activated in harmony for selfishness and harm um, and love of power, that's a, when that becomes so confirmed in you that that is your driving force, that's why you'd want to go to hell. And you wouldn't want to go anywhere else because anywhere else would be uh, death for you. Uh, it would be, it would be horrible. And Swedenborg has plenty of accounts of devils trying to invade heaven and finding it repulsive. Well, that's a great uh, point you make about it has to do with what you love and what you what you intend and find enjoyable. And sure, the idea of hell, nobody wants to be in hell, but oh, power. Do, do we love power? Selfishness? Do we love selfishness? Sure. I mean, in, throughout the course of a day, we certainly come across reasons. But well, I, I kind of like this little hell I'm in right now. You know? So, Cara, yeah. Yeah, I have a friend who somewhat tongue-in-cheek, but somewhat seriously says that she's hoping for a milder hell because she loves the feeling of being right, you know, and just she's right and other people are wrong. That's all there is to it, you know, that kind of attitude where you're, there's, um, I, I think she's wrong about herself, but... <laughs> Um, this attitude that uh, you can imagine that people are just not interested in like taking on a humble stance about things or 
you know, they're just, they're just convinced that it's my way or the highway, that kind of thing. It, it feels a little believable to me rather than um, uh, just putting down your own sense of how things should be in order to contribute to the community that you're in and find your own place in the community. Yeah, so not, not necessarily this bizarre foreign feelings that exist in, in movie characters, but this is stuff, of course, yeah, I, I want to grab onto that. This is why we all have this mountain of regeneration to climb when when we start out is because a lot of this stuff that seems pretty friendly, like when you dig down into it, this is not something that that's in that, that really can live side by side with the kind of mutual love that makes up heaven. So yeah, we gotta find ways to unclench our, our hands around that. Chelsea, yeah, do you have anything? Yeah, just yeah, like what you guys are saying that I think um, one of the principles, you know, through sort of mainstream ideas and stuff, we get this idea that hell is this place where you get sent or something, or you end up there because you did too many bad things in your life or something. Um, and, but the principles of how the spiritual world works that you learn about that Swedenborg learned about through firsthand experience and then recorded in the books he wrote um, is kind of shakes up those barriers. When you realize what the core principle he says is that our love is our life. Like what we love is our actual source of our life. Um, and that we meet, we actually spiritually live off of delight that's associated with what we love. And, um, and we see that at work in the natural world all the time, but in the spiritual world, it is just the only principle of how we exist. And that's why he puts such an emphasis on, um, reflecting on what really brings you delight in this world and shifting, you know, thinking about it and turning away from the things that, um, that maybe bring you delight, but that are actually harmful to other people because it's, it's inherently dead. If it's not coming from God, who is, you know, divine love, mutual love, you know, wisdom. Um, and so it's sort of a, there's just inherent benefits in aligning with the divine and then kind of a lot of not great stuff, you know, baggage that comes along if you're turning away from that. Um, but it's kind of not a, oh, shame on you for choosing hell or something. It, it's really just like, that's, that's the way our spirits function. And so uh, if we've, if we are really only, and, and that's also going back to the first question of like our time in the world of spirits is like, we all come to the other world as a mixed bag. You know, we are full of love for things that are connected with the divine and loves for things that are, you know, more selfish and focused on, you know, harmful, the kinds of things being right <laughs> over being kind or something, um, lots of mild versus more severe and everything. And that time is for us to be able to really think critically of like, what's more important to me, you know, is this thing over here, what I really love, um, and I'd rather let go of this other part of myself because um, I want to prioritize this thing over here. And if that thing is a is a love that is turned away from the divine, then then it can only exist in the area of the spiritual world that we would call hell. Um, and but it, so it's really just a determination of you. What you love is what determines your spiritual location. And like Chris was saying, that is your life. So the Lord doesn't want to hurt you. Or, you know, the Lord just wants to provide a spiritual home for everybody. 
And so for people who have made, who live off of that kind of polluted life force, um, they get to live and do that thing, you know, in a very specific location um, that isn't going to, that kind of regulates the harm that can happen. Um, but I will say that there's a fabulous uh, article on offtheleftei.com that you can go to and find about hell that really kind of digs into all this information if you want to learn more there. What's that article called? Um, actually, it's, well, it's called Facts About Hell. You could just search hell on our website and you'll find it. Yeah. Great. Look for the hell. Yeah, I love that <laughs> that shift in perspective from hell is the place and people get thrown into it to people have the hell inside them. And the external environment of hell is actually a mitigation tool, uh, the optimal environment for you to be as happy as you can while your life consists of these sorts of things. That hell is actually God saying, okay, I'm going to try to take as good care of you as if you'll possibly let me in, in that state. So Thanks for the question, fan of God. Uh, let's move on to the next one. Tim Wood asks, what does Swedenborg say about parallel realities? And can you shift into different versions of ourselves or parallel realities? Have you guys heard of anything like parallel? So let's, so as I understand a parallel reality, you know, when back when the idea of the multiverse came out and people thought, oh, maybe there's many universes and there's not just there's another universe with other planets, but there's a universe with another Swedenborgian life show and a universe with a, but this one, everybody's green in it. Um, do we find anything like that in Swedenborg or is there any sort of shifting that, that could go on? Chelsea, do you have any thoughts? Oh no, I think Chris. Oh, okay. You Chris, you got it? Oh, we'll see in a second. Yeah, um, I'm, I'm going to try to provide some kind of answer that's a little bit different than the context you set up, Curtis, but um, remains is the thing I instantly think about when I hear a question like this. And this is one of the, my favorite things about Swedenborg's teachings is that he describes, you know, earlier in our life, like the Lord infuses heaven within us, um, remains being like affections for good and true things that connect us to heaven and to kind of like the best version of ourself. Um, and as time goes on in life, you kind of layer, you know, selfishness and, and, you know, things happen and you kind of lose sight of those more fundamental parts of you that are planted early on. And so when I think about uh, different versions of ourselves, there's a version of all of us that is so pure and that is so profoundly heavenly um, that is existing in potential at any given moment that we can tap back into um, through repentance and reformation. Um, that to me is really cool because it gives me a sense of, I can rediscover who I am and what the Lord gave to me through a spiritual process. And that's cool. That is so exciting uh, to think of that as a different version of you and a really striking depiction of that that Swedenborg describes is he's actually talking at one point to an evil spirit who is just really going on about how he loves this kind of evil that makes hell. But then he gets sort of put into a sleep-like state and a little, I think it's a little baby comes out of him, like emerges out of him and Swedenborg talks to the spirits around and they say, oh, that's that's his remains or that that's the, the, his inner self. It's been preserved kind of like that by the Lord. That innocence you describe is still in there. There's that parallel version, even though 
that sort of conscious voluntary part is so uh, is so messed up. So I love that. Yeah, Chelsea. Um, yeah, I was kind of going in a similar direction, Chris, and because I well, on the one hand, um, Swedenborg doesn't say anything about parallel realities in those terms or any other kind of multiverse kind of stuff because that's interestingly all this kind of major advances in our understanding of the world has happened in the last couple hundred years um, and Swedenborg was writing in the 1700s um, and yet he has you know these things that he says about the spiritual world that kind of line up with the kind of stuff that people are finding um, now in these sort of wild new theories about physics and stuff um, but because he he has a term that he calls discrete degrees um, and he says that that's how the different layers of the spiritual world um, exist he, in in heaven uh, you know he describes a natural level and a spiritual level and a heavenly level um, and he says that uh, they're discreetly different so you'll, you can read a whole chapter on it in divine love and wisdom um, and but he'll also say that that's our mind reflects the shape of heaven. Um, speaking of like our brain even, but that our mind has these three levels to them. So we're all built in with all of the spiritual world inside of ourselves. And yet we choose and through our process of regeneration and spiritual growth, kind of where our consciousness lives within those levels. And so I could kind of think of it as being that, those parallel realities, like it's a real version of ourself that maybe it's just kind of dormant or the volumes turned really low. That's really high up on the heavenly level. And we're down here focused on a sort of more earthly level. And, um, and that it's through, you know, we can kind of, when we realize there's options, uh, you know, there's these potentially untapped levels inside of us, um, that we can, you know, maybe shift into different versions of ourselves. And that's a long, you know, uh, process, um, where it's what we love changing. Like I was talking about where it's like, it's really what you, what you love is what has to change. And that's what kind of unlocks those, um, higher or deeper levels inside of us. That's great. Yeah. That is a parallel, like a deeper, higher parallel. And I don't know. I can't remember if you use the term inner self that Swedenborg often talks about as having an inner or higher self where, the good things that come into us are streamed through initially. So it's a kind of have to connect with this better version of yourself. Uh, great. Yeah, this is, I love the direction you guys are taking this in. Uh, any other thoughts about this one before we go? Okay, thank you so much, Tim Wood. Elizabeth King asks, is the goal of life the same as the purpose of life? So, and I, I'll, I'll leave that up to you guys. So how do you interpret that? But do we feel like there's a, is it just semantics or are there two se sort of separate things that we can get at there? I'll offer a, a starting thought, which is, you know, just thinking about what everyone said about what's the goal of consciousness or what, we, what, what word do we have? Do we have purpose or goal? It's, what's the point? Okay, so it's neither. But everyone was saying like, okay, well, my, my goal here is to stop this kind of negativity and start this kind of positivity and go after that and improve and regenerate. And it seems sort of like that's the everyone's individual goal and the point of life, the Lord's divine providence has for its purpose, a heaven from the human race. So each of everyone's individual goals are trying or God trying to lead them into that grand purpose, which is this happiness together. So that's a distinction 
that first comes to my mind. Uh, but does anybody else uh, have other thoughts that, that sprout up uh, after that? No? Um, I, <laughs> I was, I'm in sort of a spiral of thought myself thinking about it because I was thinking about the difference between like, Swedenborg will talk about like the cause, the means and the effect of something. He's often talking about these threes um, or, and I think another way he puts it is like the ends, the means and the results or something. If I have yeah. that right, yeah. Yeah, cool. end cause, effect and is one way of putting it, end, cause, and effect. Okay, and so anyway, I was wondering if there's sort of a, you know, it's kind of semantics, but that difference between the goals of life versus the purpose, like purpose just sounds kind of maybe more um, internal and core and goals. There could be a lot of goals that spring from a purpose. And mm. um, and I think of like uh, Swedenborg says that we have a dominant love that sounds so singular, <laughs> like there's one, and I, that has always kind of confused me, um, and that it's our dominant love, but I just kind of feel like, I don't know what that is, but if that's the, you know, if that love is kind of this purpose, this core thing, but then it's easier for me to think about all the things I love, you know, the affections I have and stuff, and so maybe those are sort of goals I can, um, work toward but anyway i just feel like i'm rambling but those are some thoughts <laughs> that's what we're here for that yeah, i love it uh yeah we we have i love those distinctions there hey let's pause for a moment because we're halfway through our show and i just want to acknowledge some people who have made donations to our program so thank you to rachel Yay. elizabeth Yay. brenda and stephanie Wow. We now have raised a total of $140, so we're more wow. than halfway to Amazing. our goal of 224 for the extra 15 minutes. If anyone else wants to contribute, remember your match goes, your gift goes twice as far with our matching. It's offtheleftei.com/donate. Okay, let's get back to our questions. Oh, here's a simple one. The Cube asks, "How? <laughs> what would Swedenborg say about adultery on Earth? He says it is serious in the spiritual world." So does Swedenborg ever talk about that? The answer is, yeah. I mean, maybe more so than most religious thinkers. He has a huge, um, there, you know, there's obviously the second half of his book, Conjugal Love, is all about the, the issues that can come from extramarital kind of stuff. He, he talks about chastity in heaven. There's certainly a ton he has to say. Can we do any justice to a quick summary of that here? Or what? Yeah, what what does he say about it, and is it serious, uh, like like it seems to be in the spiritual world? Um, yeah, I know it's not, um, or there's again, there's layers that you can, different angles you can come at the subject, and but the first thing that was coming to my mind um, was Swedenborg talks about the inner meaning of all the Ten Commandments, and so the commandment against adultery is in in that list, and um, and so there's sort of a, a spiritual meaning to it. And then there's an earthly application as well. And the, the spiritual meaning is, um, adultery is really a dividing of goodness from truth, um, and splitting those two things apart from each other. And so this, you know, you have God who is love and wisdom itself and this sort of eternal marriage of the two. And so adulter adultery is to take, um, truth away from goodness and it becomes falsity and harmful or 
or to take truth outside of love and then it doesn't know what to do with itself. <laughs> uh, and um, so anyway, a dividing of those two things uh, is kind of the spiritual meaning of adultery as I understand it from Swedenborg. And, and then, so then that's reflected in just the earthly thing that, you know, a relationship between two people is a picture of the marriage between love and wisdom. And so um, there's, uh, you know, so just principally there's this uh, wrongness to create, to having, to turning away from a marriage. One way, one way Swedenborg describes it is that the Lord is always trying to bring things together and connect them. And hell is always trying to divide these two things apart. And, um, but so that's kind of like a big picture view. And then there's sort of the nitty gritty of getting into like what I think maybe the cube is getting more at, which is like, is this okay in relationships, like in just the everyday human relationships of, um, of adultery on earth. And um, it's, it's serious, but he actually says that there's different kinds of adultery that are, some are more mild and some are more severe. And they um, kind of on an inner level, they really relate to, are you thinking, are you coming from a place of self-interest in your, in your relationship? Or are you willing to show up and really listen and be present to the other person? Um, And uh, anyway, that, that's, I don't want to be like taken up the whole time. So that's, those are some introductory thoughts, but I've, It'll be a good discussion. No, that's a really solid introduction. And it makes me realize that yeah, we should have a little definition of terms because Swedenborg will use the word adultery or whatever gets translated, I guess Carl would know, into adultery to describe not just like infidelity in a marriage, but he will talk about, um, you know, sex crimes like rape as a form of adultery. So adultery seems to be, yeah, any like, sex used for destructive purposes uh, and that's one way that you could put it and i think it's a great point chelsea about the intent is what what really matters in a lot of those situations so yeah yeah, yeah. okay good good um cara did you want to go I, I would just add that uh he makes the point that sex in marriage is of one quality and sex outside of that in those other situations that you were talking about Curtis is of a different quality and that human beings believing it's the same thing and that it makes no difference uh, is one of our downfalls that there is a big difference in the spiritual nature of it and I guess what it's doing in our spirit or something I don't know I just wanted to say that he makes that distinction he makes a big deal about it's not the same thing you know, it depends what the context of your sexual relationship is. Right. And that, and that also, I, I'd forgotten, Chelsea, the point that you'd brought up before about the good marriage of goodness and truth, that it is true that like when we're on the outermost level of it, it falls into terms that are very familiar. We're talking about relationships and, and adultery and everything like that. But then when you get to, yeah, what he says that the spiritual meaning behind it or why it's harmful or all this sort of stuff, it begins to be this sort of abstract stuff. It's almost like he says the really serious stuff is stuff that to us would sound like, well, that's not a, a big deal, like the splitting of goodness and truth. But whoever made like a soap opera about like, oh, they split goodness and truth. What does that even mean? <laughs> but yet that it's it's really sort of outer relationships 
correspondence to that inner marriage of goodness and truth that, that can be part of what makes it so harmful in the first place. So definitely a, a, a long range or a wide ranging and, and fascinating aspect to, to his theology there. We yeah. could go on for a long time. Do we want to say a little bit more about it or, or uh, have, we, have we given it a good intro? I, I have one other thought that's going on what you were just saying, Curtis, which is that like um, Swedenborg really makes a big deal out of the potential that's in marriage, you know, that marriage is a big deal. Um, and that's why he has a whole book on it. And, um, and it has those divine parallels. Um, and that's why, but there's something about this power in us as human beings having us, you know, he's really big on monogamy, um, but that um, even there might be multiple paths to get there, but he sort of sees that the end point is that there's some serious spiritual gifts that come to us when we devote ourselves to a relationship to one other person. Um, and that that is this eternal thing that can grow forever in the spiritual world in heaven. Um, and, uh, and it's kind of interesting when you think about it, like, a and so he says, the reason why we find sex satisfying at all in this world is because there's this spiritual purpose to it of this physical reflection of how united two people can become because two people can become a reflection of, of the divine marriage of goodness and truth. And, um, and so by, uh, and so those, that's sort of a heavenly thing. Whereas, um, the, the other version, you know, he just says marriage doesn't really exist in, in hell, that there's sort of alliances and these things that come and go, but, um, but it's not, uh, there's this sort of eternal benefit to, to opening yourself up to this potential to have a deepening union with another person. Um, and, and so, yeah, I mean, that's that like big picture thing. And so I feel like there's just a lot more that Swedenborg does say about adultery on earth, but it's probably too much to even go through in this episode. Sure. Yeah, Chris. Yeah, no, we're, uh, we're we're deep in this now, but uh, yeah. <laughs> I uh, I will just say, kind of to balance things out, I know that you know uh, lust and you know consequently adultery, it's a thing that a lot of people struggle with, particularly on the lust side. You know, that's a pretty rampant thing, and one of the, the hopeful elements of Swedenborg's teachings is that no single act can damn you to hell. It's more so the lifetime of conscious decision making that kind of leads you in one direction towards heaven or hell. And that there's a pretty defined process where you can address the things that you're struggling with and find strength from God to get through that, to be a better version of yourself. So, um, you know, that, that, you know, to, to feel empowered through that, I think is an important part of the process. That's yeah. It's a great point that that um, this is the same with uh, people will talk about. Yeah, if you do X, any kind of negative thing, do you go to hell for it? There's no, the answer is never yes because exactly hell is a conscious choice made over and over. A single act can have be really a thousand different things spiritually depending on your motives and your knowledge at the time and all that. I just want to throw just to muddy the waters even more. Um. Swedenborg does talk about the opposite of marriage love in that he says there's a heavenly marriage, which is, you know, the, these two people that, that want a mutual 
desire of the heart and mind to do the other every good. And then there's the hellish marriage, which is two people, but one dominates the other one. That that rather than like, you know, that, that, that you can have it. That, so it's not about, oh, are two people living together and technically married? You can have the opposite of marriage if you if if it's really about controlling the other person or or dominating them in some way that that actual marriage is only this uh, mutual love and and this desire oh I, I would I would do anything to help you out and I'm not trying to you know use you for for myself so I I think that that sheds some light on on what it is yeah Chelsea I'll give you the last word okay well yours are probably better last words but I just was you know contemplating the question of what would Swedenborg say about adultery on earth. And I just think he'd say like, yeah, it happens. It happens a lot. <laughs> and, and it's going to happen. It's going to keep happening because we're all human. And, and yet it's not a life sentence, you know, that we, we get ourselves into messes on earth. And every, every time that, and, you know, that, you know, whatever, a relationship, some issue comes up, that's an opportunity to, to grow and, you know, continue our spiritual growth path um, and, uh and so it's yeah something interesting interesting to contemplate hey while we were in there thinking hard moving through the weeds as they say we uh we hit our goal financially <laughs> by the way i want to say thanks to sharon and angie now we are up at 290 so we blew past our goal of 224 thanks to Woo! everyone given your gifts of course are matched twice as far. If you're watching afterwards, feel free to go, log on and donate. You'll still get that matching gift. Um, that means we're going an extra 15 minutes, which is exciting. So we can we can answer these next questions without fear that we'll run out of time to answer the ones after them. Okay, everyone, let's do our stretches. We got, a, we got some more talking to do. This is from Elise Mason, who asks, why was I given a near-death experience? So at least thank you for being willing to share that you had an experience. I think that's so important because there's still sort of people keep things hush hush when there's this is happening to so many people and it's such an important part of life. Um, so of course we can't know why you did in particular, but we would love to speculate, right? I mean, so, <laughs> so uh, what, what do you think, everybody? What what's why why Elise Cara? Um. Well, Elise, I think like every other part of life, we are all on such individual spiritual journeys. Um, and nobody but the Lord knows what the heck <laughs> is going on for us. But to me, you had a, a near-death experience because it was something that was going to give you a unique opportunity to grow and learn in a way that you hadn't encountered yet. And, uh, and a, um, an opportunity to become more yourself. And so I've never had a near-death experience, but my little life experiences that I have are the ones that apparently are serving me to get me to my highest, you know, spiritual happiness, um, which is what Swedenborg says, the Lord is working for all of us all the time to get us to our, you know, highest happiness that we can have for eternity so um i think it sounds fun to have a near-death experience but i don't know maybe i don't know did you did you like yours 
Great. That's yeah, good. yeah, I love it. The, who, who else, Chelsea? Yeah, um, sure. So I was thinking about uh, what Chris was saying about remains and how, um, you know, those sort of heightened spiritual experiences that we have, whether they're in near-death experiences or other sort of transcendent states, I think really function well to kind of ground us in a lived sense of the reality of the Lord's love um, and, and wisdom. And so uh, sometimes that's like a dream that you never forget, you know, or a, a message you got from somewhere or something. And like the Lord just builds up a cache of these things in our spirit and through our lived experiences to, for us to be able to feed off of in our spiritual growth in this world and, and beyond. And um, I, I think another element to that is, you know, near-death experiences often mean that there might've been some kind of trauma happening or that there might've been an accident or um, I don't know what the circumstances were, but uh, the Lord foresees all things, you know, can foresee evil and, you know, so sort of the, any negative traumatic thing that we go through um, and then provides and ensures that only that whatever happens can be turned into something good. Like it's the best miracle out there um, to be able to take the worst stuff that happens to us and literally can transmute it into actually blessing us so that, so that evil is ultimately completely powerless, you know, cause the, the Lord, the Lord's goodness always wins in the end. And so, um, I guess sort of providentially that that kind of worked out, you know, that, that, that you could have that, uh, I hope gift of a near death experience. They're not always super pleasant, but, um, if there was some sort of good encouraging message you got through that, that, um, you know, that gives you something to hold on to. So. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's, it's great to think about the, the effect on you and that, that God, I think about how much Swedenborg talks about the state that we're all in. And when he talks about how different people's lives go and whether or not God dispenses certain truths through revelation, I'm thinking of like the, the different religions that have gone up. It's always about our state of mind and whether we're able to receive it well. So I'm thinking there must've been something about your state where you, know, you could, you could receive that and it wouldn't, the, this near death experience wouldn't cause you harm and somehow it would integrate. I know a lot of people come back from near death experiences and have a tough time reintegrating with the world and a tough time reconciling that with what we have here or knowing what they're supposed to do. And I would say, yeah, no, none of us know what we're supposed to do. And uh, God is really the one who's going to do it through us. So it's not even really for us to, to figure out, but, but I just really appreciate you sharing that with us. Chris, did you have any thoughts? Yeah, I, I shared this uh, on another show, um, not, not too long ago, but um, kind of reminds me of, uh, I, you know, I was hit by a truck like a year ago, a year and a half ago. And right. I, I had a pretty, I would say what, I don't know if you'd qualify it as a near death experience, but I had, I certainly had a life review and it was like a really, really intense thing. Um, and uh, following that, and I entered a pretty, pr pretty dark period of time for maybe nine months where 
I was just in a lot of pain. It unlocked a lot of trauma, uh, past trauma, just a whole lot of raw stuff. Um, but so, so I think I was asking that question a lot. Like, why, why was I having this? What, what was the purpose of that? Um, but at this point, with enough processing, I can see that, like, the Lord was, someone used the word transmute. I think Chelsea used the word transmute. But he was, like, bending things that happened to me that were pretty negative and showing me opportunities about my ways in which I could discover myself more deeply and opening up doors that I don't, I don't think I could have opened before had I not gone through such an intense experience. Um, and I'm better for it although it was horrible. Um, and so I totally was asking that question that you just asked in my own context. And I appreciate if you are going through something really hard right now, uh, the depth of that, that pain. Wait a second. You had a life review? Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, well, I mean, do you want to say anything more about it? I mean, I, yeah. I, I never heard about it. Tell, come on. Yeah, no, I, I just mentioned it in a previous show. I hadn't really talked to anyone about it, but um, it was, uh, so yeah, truck blew an intersection and hit my my door and my car spun out quite a bit. And um, as I was spinning, as the car was spinning and glass was like kind of being thrown all around my face, um, I had a moment by moment recollection of all of the most like, like feeling loved and giving loved moments of my life where I just felt like it was like these like little pinpoints of profoundly loving points in my life strung together in a narrative that kind of held me through the chaos of that accident as it was happening. Um, and it was the, the whole thing, the accident happened in seconds, but it felt like I was traveling a very long narrative being shown like, Oh, these are the most, like, this is, it's not like what you did, you know, in your life that you thought was successful. It's like, here's like these loving moments that make up the quality of your life. Wow. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Amazing. Yeah. I, I literally just shared that on a previous show for the, I, I don't, I haven't talked about it much. But. I must not have been at that show. Yeah. I don't, I think it was one of the ones that you weren't there for Curtis. Yeah. 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 Cause you felt, you finally felt like, okay, now I can share this. Chris, that, well, thank you. That's so, that is so moving to hear. Um, thank you for, for letting us know um, about what, what that was like. And, and that's a beautiful image, uh, even though, yeah, I, I hear all the, all the pain and everything around it. I mean, I talked to you on the day, like pretty soon after that happened, you know, and, and yeah. I just remember you were like, really out of it i mean you know yeah um so it's just good to for me to think about even though you had all this negative stuff around it you know you having that bright spot in the middle of it mm -hmm. yeah yeah well and i appreciate questions like what elise asks because it's they're real and you know it's good to find fellowship with each other and those kind of things that's, what, that's it that's the point of the show okay great this is awesome all right so thank you so much elise for that, hey, while we were doing all that, I want to, you know, Scott chipped in. We now have $340 raised. Thank you so much, Scott. Nice. Uh, 680 towards our our programming because of our matching gift. So thank you, everyone. Really appreciate it. Let's go on to our next question. We're, we're almost to our bonus round, but not yet. 
-hmm. So just answer this like you'd answer a regular question. <laughs> Our friend Matthew Bush asks, what about artificially stimulating the brains ex to experience a spiritual experience? Can, you know, can it be done? Is that good and ethical? Has it been done? Have any of you done it? Now that we know that everyone's doing these crazy things, I didn't know it. So, <laughs> what do you think? Does that does that uh, spark any thoughts in anybody? Yeah. Um, well, what it makes me think of is uh, what Swedenborg said. No, I haven't, by the way. Um, <laughs> but I do know that there are some. I don't know, even particularly like psychedelic substances or something that that can kind of give people that kind of a transcendent experience. Um, and Swedenborg said, wrote, writes about how the, that's another kind of cool way that our minds work where um, it's possible for our discernment, you know, our mind to be lifted up into the highest heaven. You know, like we can take lots of light, spiritual light in, um, but we, uh, the Lord actually protects it so that we don't, um, commit ourselves to a, you know, new next level sort of spiritual idea until we're able to be maintained in it. Um, so like, cause that's this sort of careful spiritual heart surgery that's happening where our love is changing. And so that's our spiritual life. And, um, and so, uh, so I think, you know, there's lots of ways it happens on accident. It happens on purpose, um, where people get spiritual experiences and and these have these transcendent experiences and it can it can be a enlightening thing that then you just come back to the level that you were before in terms of where your heart is at where your love is really at but um but sort of so there's no there's no way to kind of bypass the spiritual work that needs to happen to really develop yourself um from that heart centered space uh, like that's gonna that just takes time but any of these experiences um, can inspire us or you know can sort of show us what's possible but um, but they don't kind of do the work for us um, and uh, so anyway that's that's one thought I had on that it's a great distinction because you think okay if I just break through and have this spiritual experience I will have made it somewhere but I love the point you're making that this is a the the real importance is the work the spiritual work that we're doing which is uh, perhaps why Swedenborg goes through all his writings without ever really laying out the steps to induce a spiritual experience because even if you get it um as we we're just mentioning they can be hard to integrate they can be painful I, I do know people I've come across a lot of people talking about how particular drugs that they were doing actually they feel like open them up to something negative spiritually that they have a hard time shaking now so it's yeah it's that's a question of can we and more of a, what what will it do what will the, the impact be and and um what's the point what's the goal of it all so yeah any other thoughts um cara or chris mm. nothing great okay well then let's uh let's leave it at that i, I think those were great thoughts um this is steve willett's who asks, what did the Borg, Swedenborg, think about slavery? Do we have Swedenborg commenting on this evil that's plagued the human race for, you know, since biblical times and, and long since before? 
Uh, I know there's been some recent connections with Swedenborg's works to uh, abolitionist movements, but but does anyone have any any uh, hard examples of that? Yeah, Chelsea. Well, I think you were getting at the heart of it earlier, Curtis, when you were talking about like that hellish marriage or that love for love for dominion. And um, so I think Swedenborg would take that view that slavery is a, a symptom and expression of uh, the the self that's been separated from any anything of the divine because um, he says that you know hell or evil at its core is a love for being in control from a sense of self-importance so meaning like well i'm better or more important or more superior than you are therefore i get to control you like that's actually the epitome of hell um and um and so that uh, I think Swedenborg saw that clearly. Um, and uh, yeah, so that's an initial thought. Yeah, that's great. Chris, what do, what do you think? Well, I, I have always been haunted by passages in Swedenborg's teachings that described some of the conditions in hell where uh, clearly slavery of some sort is being uh, promoted. Um, you know, right. more, more powerful devils, uh, you know, chain and enslave uh, weaker inhabitants of hell um with the lust to um control them and to dominate them um so it is it is certainly something that is promoted and goes on actively in hell right yeah i i um that it just made me think of when uh when swedenborg talks about the hellish marriage that chelsea referenced like the when, when somebody is dominating someone else it says it's it's really slavery for both of them because one is is under the other one's control and the other one is a slave to wanting to be in control. That the, that all of hell is people whose desires run them rather than they run the desires. And all of those, like Chris, you're talking about all these permissions where certain devils control other devils. This is like the way in which hell doesn't let people go off and do even worse things that will harm them even worse. But it certainly does seem like evil and loss of freedom are just like joined. Um, and it, you're right, and it is just like, it's it's gross. Kara, uh, what did you wanna say? Yeah, the first thing that came to me too was what Curtis had said about the, the hellish marriage. Um, what I'm thinking right now is uh, Swedenborg talks about how the Lord's highest priority is our spiritual freedom, um, that he guards our spiritual freedom like the apple of his eye, says Swedenborg. Um, and I'm just wondering how, you know, what the analog is between our spiritual freedom and our, and our freedom on, on this level. Um, there's got to be some kind of relationship there, even though theoretically we can choose um, how we respond in our spirit to any kind of outward situation that we're in. But just knowing the, the emphasis of the Lord on spiritual freedom, right. it's got to play into it somehow. And that the, the whole way that God operates is to absolutely give all the freedom to everyone that that can possibly be given like the freedom of thinking freedom to to choose what kind of life we want to embrace like god is the opposite of control and so you can see just how diabolical control is um i i'd love to 
talk for a second because we you never know exactly what somebody's asking, but I want to talk about because didn't the Swedenborg Foundation recently publish a book that was about Swedenborgian thought in the abolitionist movement in maybe the United States? Um, I, I know Lydia or maybe Marie England, Kyle, maybe it, England. I, I, I don't know. So you guys got to help me out. There, there's but there's definitely been a recent literature and there was a recent conference on how Swedenborg's theology played a role in the abolition of slavery in in the Europe and, and the US just a few hundred years ago, right? Yeah, yes. And um, yeah, maybe if you go to Swedenborg Foundation, Swedenborg.com and search abolition, you might find something about that. And also our friend, uh, the Reverend Christopher Barber has, I guess, well, he's done a big study recently on how Swedenborgians uh, reacted and participated or not in <clears throat> the slavery in America in the last, you know, in our, in our history. And I, I, I'd be interested to know, I haven't read it yet, but I'm sure he's pulling on what Swedenborg's teachings are that would relate to that. Well, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, oh, sorry. Go ahead. Oh, just, um, that, uh, the, the book of the Swedenborg foundations, it's called the moment is now. And it's about Carl Bernard, Wads Wadstrom. Um, and uh, and that's one of those interesting things where Swedenborg inspired certain major abolitionist characters to, you know, catalyze them to action around around abolition. Um, and and then interestingly, sort of the historical organized religion uh, of like the people who organized the church around Swedenborg's ideas that has been there's not just one, but there, you know, there's sort of been an evolution. Um, and this is what Chris Barber talks about in his article is that people have been kind of lukewarm, like it's an interesting study of how like, you might have the ideal sitting right in front of your face, and still you come up with ways to excuse something that otherwise maybe you should know this is, is wrong, you know, and so it's sort of it's an interesting study of the ability of the human mind to justify things that it's benefiting from, you know, even if they're harmful. And that's sort of the, that's that hook that we all have that takes so much humility and so much active repentance to be able to see our, you know, be opened up to our blind spots because um, we're very blind <laughs> and those things continue. Well, I'm glad I let you go first. Cause I was going to, I just looked up the book and, and was going to give you the title of it, but that's <laughs> you tied it into something good there. I think that's a great example of, doesn't matter if you have truth. Yeah. Truth without good is nothing, right? So faith alone is nothing. So it's only when put into action, like the figures you mentioned, I would add uh, Robert Carter III mm -hmm. to that, who was famous for um, be, being a, an early emancipator of a large number of slaves. Um, but yeah, it just doesn't, doesn't matter if other people took Swedenborg's ideas and it inspired them to do good things. It's got to inspire you to do good things or, or else it's, <laughs> It ain't nothing, right? And, and that's like what Swedenborg's all about. So great question, uh, Steve. Let's, hey, we're in the bonus round. Can you believe it? Um, so I don't know what that changes, but we're in it. Thank you everyone for sponsoring it and making it yes. possible. So great. This, our first bonus round question is from LifeWave ESSE group who asks, are there any Swedenborg passages that encourage people to pray for the suffering God went through and is still going through because of his ideal of the three blessings was never achieved due to the fall. Big long question. 
let me say it again. So are we, and what I think it means, are, so are we supposed to pray uh, on, you know, to mitigate or acknowledge what God went through because he had this plan for humanity and it didn't work out because of the, the fall of human nature. So is that uh, anything that sparks thought and, and it's cool to get, get a chance to think about, yeah, what's it, what's it like for God going through all this? Yeah, it's too bad that uh, Karin's not here, our dear fellow panelist who didn't get, uh, wasn't able to be here today. But um, she, I remember she was just recently saying something to me about how this like realization of how, you know, real it is that the Lord still suffers with us, you know, or like there's like this, an ache for the the loss of being able to be more fully united with, with everyone. Um, and, uh, and so anyway, she'd be able to speak to that more fully than I can right now. But, um, but that came to mind. And, and I think, so I think there is something timeless about um, the Lord suffering on the cross. Um, I mean, obviously it was an event in our history, but everything that the Lord did was kind of a picture of a process we all go through. Um, and, uh, and so I think there can be something powerful about connecting with that. And, and so, uh, if that's, you know, if it's, and I sort of take praying to mean kind of, you know, there's nothing for us to do. The Lord is redemption itself and is, the glorified divine human one, but, um, but there's the Lord even says that like, even our experience of humility in prayer isn't for God's sake. Like God doesn't need to be worshiped. It's for our own sake because of that sort of um, the gradual liberation we can get from our own selfishness. Um, and so connecting with that suffering and the process that the Lord went through on earth if that can be connecting with us in our own life, then that's, then I think that that's a great thing to, to be um, doing. I don't have particular passages in mind, but um, I will be interested to hear other people's thoughts and can keep thinking about it. Chelsea, does anyone know, I don't know what the ideal of the three blessings refers to. Can somebody enlighten me on that? Um, I'm, I don't think I've heard that. question. Right. Uh, Lifewave, will you in the chat let us know what, what are the three blessings that you're referencing? But in the meantime, I think we can talk more about the uh, this idea of God's suffering and and um, Chelsea bringing up the, the human God that, that Jesus, God as Jesus and God as as the divine human. We are modeled after that. And so the stuff that we, we, we think about, yeah, if somebody's suffering, you, you pray for them or you think of them or you try to aid them and you care about what's their conscious experience. It's powerful to think of God having a heart and having a, you know, in, on some scale, hopes and dreams and disappointments and grief, um, you know, differently than us, like just like a, a child feels and thinks differently than an adult does. But, but yet there's something there that's, that's analogous to, to what we go through. Um, yeah. yeah. And I was just remembering what Karen, it came from her research for our recent show on the book of Revelation, the mystery of the seven thunders, 
because this thundering that happens in the book of Revelation is a correspondence or symbol of the Lord's grief for the loss of the first Christian church. Like the fact that the Lord came into the world, did this whole major, you know, spiritual adjustment for, for the sake of humanity. And then the thing went well, and then it kind of like tanked um, in terms of human selfishness, getting the upper hand again and using religion, using the name of Christ to dominate other people, you know, to go completely against the principles of Christianity. Um, and, uh, and so I would say like, so you could watch that show to get more of a sense of that grieving the seven thunders show. Um, and yet the Lord always knows what's going to happen and is always anticipating and already, uh, you know, working for the good final outcome, you know? So even at the earliest point, the Lord foresees the come, like the ultimate coming of the new church. And that's what all of these amazing prophecies are like at the end of the book of Daniel and the ultimate end of the book of revelation, you know, just this enormous big wedding party. Um, and, uh, and so when I think of any like Swedenborg passages, um, I do think anything that Swedenborg says about the new church, um, you could read about it in the end of his book, true Christianity or his book, the, um, new Jerusalem. And cause they paint this picture of the vision that like, no matter the suffering that's happening, it's the Lord is working for it to serve this bigger goal. Um, and I think there's an, another one of our revelation shows is about the, um, a vision of a God-centered life, I think is right. the title. And that one was the one that really rang home for me in terms of, uh, delivering this message of how, how the Lord is providing for us, even as things don't look as great as they could, or like things look like they're going downhill. The Lord sees how it's ultimately going uphill. Or something. Yeah. There's, there's a contingency plan. Hey, just, it came in from the chat in the chat from, from LifeWave, I believe the three blessings we're talking about are be fruitful, multiply and have dominion over creation. So the, the charge okay. given right, to Adam and Eve, right? Yeah. Oh yeah. Great. Yes. Okay, Cara. Well, that makes me think about um, Swedenborg's take on the creation story, um, that it is a symbolic story about our own spiritual development. As far as I can tell, the human race has been fruitful, multiplied, and had dominion over creation. But and Swedenborg describes that story as referring to so the fall would be the human race or the human heart turning away from God towards himself, uh, uh, having faith in oneself alone. Um, so if you put it in a symbolic level, that gives a different picture of things. Yeah. And it just struck me as you said that, you know, for those as a, for that to be a goal, yeah, be fruitful, multiply, have dominion over creation. Sure. Yeah, we did it. <laughs> but, but nobody is that hyped about it. Now we're thinking, oh, we've, we're, we're ruining the biosphere. What do we do about overpopulation? We're spreading disease to each other. It's, it, it seems like, wait, there's, there, there's got to be something different that that means because having tons of people can be wonderful or it can be like 
chaos and and feel like crowded and and what are we doing it all has to do with what what kind of people we're all becoming you know to have all of us with our hearts aligned and working together to solve things and and taking on hard challenges it's it's this wonderful thing so it's really about you know bringing to life the the real person in, in all of us um and thinking about the um the lord you know think about god and having feelings there's this one passage in secrets of heaven where swedenborg is talking about there's a line in the old testament which is somebody in the old testament saying what have you done to me what have you done to me and it's it's maybe it's pharaoh and and it's this line of grief and they said that that's that's actually the lord's grief jesus's grief as he realized that certain things he loved as he was younger were going to be taken away from him uh, to, to do his regeneration. It just seems like a very, oh yeah, we've been through that. Like, oh, I don't get to have that thing. What have you done to me? So just thinking that God, God's got a heart, a real heart. And, uh, mm-hmm. and that's fun. Mm-hmm. Ah, great question, Life Wave. Um, did anyone have any final thoughts on that? I'm just thinking of the line, um, by their fruits, you shall know them. Um, and and that in the symbolic level would sort of mean what 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 goodness are we giving to the world around us? What uses are we serving? How are we contributing um, to the world? Um, so that's, and, and multiplying that, multiplying goodness. We can each be a multiplier of goodness in the world that we're in. Love that's it. it. <laughs> yeah. And then the more, the more of us there are, the more the goodness can be multiplied, which is super exciting. Hey, let's, let's wrap it up with one quick last question. Clamoron asks, did Swedenborg say anything for or against astrology? Uh, Chelsea, Chelsea. I, I heard you had a reference. <laughs> well, I knew this was maybe going to have to happen in a sort of lightning round style. So I was yeah. just going to say that I remember us responding to a very similar question. I can't tell if you're hearing my children. <laughs> well, I, we do. And I think you guys have been hearing mine the whole time. So there it goes. So you can look on our channel for a show that's called 10 Questions, Astrology, Astral Projection, and Too Much Love. Um, and, and I remember thinking about that question of astrology because it's not, it's not an easy yes or no. Um, or for or against, it's kind of a, an in-between place that, again, kind of engages your sense of um, intention and, and self and choice. So, and freedom, you know, respecting your freedom is a big part of, so are you using astrology, but not losing your freedom? That's important. There's, so there's more you could uh, hear there if you look up that show, 10 questions, astrology, etc. That's so great. What well, that's a great note to end on. Look, we we're at the end of our conversation, but we can, instead of cheaping out on that response, we're going to put you to a whole good, thoughtful discussion that we did on that earlier. It never has to end, people. You can keep going through the YouTube. <laughs> Speaking of it never ending, um, we want to say that this Sunday, so like two days from now, a new episode of Inside Off the Left Eye is coming out. If you want to continue hanging out with us, it's called Heaven in the Brain and a Lost Manuscript of Swedenborg's Found which that, Chelsea, do you want to tease that a teeny tiny bit? Oh, just that it's the thing that's found is something that's hidden in plain sight, a very exciting mystery and finding of uh, Dr. Jonathan Rose's through his work on the NCE and, and everything. So 
good conversation. That's exciting. And then the next week is a break week because we have Thanksgiving here in the United States. We will, we will be giving you some content from our fabulous archives. The following week on Monday, we have our show, Why Do Bad Things Happen to Good People? So how could you want to miss that? Thanks to everybody who gave today financially to support us. Your, your contributions make this all possible for us. Thank you for everyone who watched and put in a question because that's what makes it all go. And hey, thanks to the panel. It was so great getting to hear your insights and your wisdom. Thanks for sharing this time. Yeah, thank you so much to everybody who gave. I'm really like amazed. It's so exciting to get to do this work and share these ideas. And I hope what we've talked about is helpful to people. Yeah, real honor to be with you all. Thanks for your contributions and your interest and for all of you shining your own light and goodness in the world. Take it easy, everyone. I hope you have a great couple of days until we see you next. Bye.